can be redeemed, forgiven, and have new life. And we saw, it's clear in Ephesians 2, 1 through 10, we saw it is only through the grace of God given to us in Jesus Christ. Now, beginning with verse 11, Paul seems to look at much the same thing from a more practical perspective. And so, what we find here is kind of a move in in Paul's train of thought as the Holy Spirit leads him from the theological to the practical. I've entitled my sermon today, Spiritual Alienation. And that is man's basic problem, isn't it? It's alienation. We are born alienated from God, and because of that, we are alienated from each other. That's why the gospel is called the gospel of reconciliation. It reconciles us. Reconciles us to God, and through that, reconciles us to each other. And that really is the theme of this second half of Ephesians 2. And we're going to begin to look at that whole theme of reconciliation this morning. And we're going to do that by just looking at verses 11 and 12. There are two things I want to draw from these two verses uh, about spiritual alienation for you this morning. And first, I want us to look at this sense of spiritual alienation from the from what I call the horizontal perspective about how that alienation affects us and our relationships with each other. This verse, you might notice, first is a call to remember. It's a call to remember who they were before they came to Christ. You know, it really is a a recurring theme of the Bible. God calls us to remember where we were so can we can appreciate where we are. God calls us to remember what we were so we can fully appreciate now what we are. You know, God over and over called upon the Israelites to do that. They were to remember the dark days of Egypt. They were to remember their time and bondage and slavery. They were to remember the helpless and hopeless situation in which they found themselves under the heavy hand of Pharaoh so they could appreciate the blessing of the Exodus and the blessing of being free from that experience. And that's what we find here in verse 11. Paul tells them, therefore, remember. Now again, that word therefore is tying Together, what Paul has just said in verses 1 through 10 with what he's about to tell us in verses 11 through 22. Again, verses 1 through 10 were the fact that salvation is all of God's free grace. And the more you appreciate what that grace has brought you from, the more you'll appreciate the grace that did it. The more you understand what Paul explained in verses 1 through 3 about how we are dead in our trespasses and sins. Again, how we are alienated from God. How we are live, we're living in a life that displeased Him. When you remember that, it helps you appreciate the fullness of grace all the more. Again, these verses, this call to remember, are directed specifically to Gentile believers. He says that, therefore remember that you, formerly you, the Gentiles in the flesh. 
Paul wants them, the Gentiles to remember exactly what I've just described. He wants them to remember what they were so they can now appreciate what they are. Look again at verse 11 with me. Therefore, he says, remember that formerly you, the Gentiles in the flesh, who are called uncircumcision by the so-called circumcision, which is performed in the flesh by human hands. This is a description of the alienation that was experienced on the horizontal level, in particular between the Jews and the Gentiles. There was no love between the Jews and the Gentiles. The Greeks in particular, you know, were a proud people, proud of their culture, proud of their heritage, proud of their language. They elevated themselves above other cultures. The Jews were no better. The Jews had a tremendous sense of pride in their relationship with God, a pride that bordered on arrogance. Uh, That, you see, was not God's intention for his people. God did choose them out of all the peoples on the face of the earth to be his, but they were to be a blessing to the other nations. The Jews were to be a light among the Gentiles. They were to display God's marvelous love and grace that others might come to him and be drawn to him. But instead of witnessing to the Gentiles, Israel condemned them. In fact, the relationship between the the Jews and the Gentiles was reduced, as we see in the text, to childish name called. Between the circumcision and the uncircumcision. Circumcision, of course, was a gift that God gave to his people. It was the identifying mark that separated the Jews from the Gentiles. And if anyone wanted to become a God-fearer, you wanted to come become a part of the nation of Israel, then that was a requirement, that identifying mark in the flesh. But instead of it being a means of witness to God's covenant faithfulness, and to his covenant love for his people, it became a source of pride and arrogance for them. And instead of using it as a testimony and witness, it became a means of separation and of arrogance. And so the Gentiles, or they called, the Jews called the Gentiles, the uncircumcision. You uncircumcised heathen. And so the, 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 the Gentiles responded in kind and called the Jews the circumcision in a very derogatory kind of way. That's why I say their, their relationship was reduced to childish name-calling. You uncircumcised unbeliever. You circumcised Jew. And so instead of the Jews being a blessing to the nations, They withdrew from them, and they condemned them. And so the Jews looked upon the Gentiles with contempt and disdain. They would have nothing to do with them. There was a huge chasm that developed between them. You know, the Jews took great delight in declaring that one day those unbelieving Gentiles would stoke the fires of hell. The Gentiles didn't think 
any much better of the Jews. It was pride and arrogance on either side. This mutual sense of disdain and contempt for each other. You know, it's interesting that that chasm still was present in the days of the early church. We've been studying the book of Acts on Sunday nights. We've seen some of the Jewish believers, those who were brought to Christ out of devout Judaism, had a hard time, very hard time, believing that those Gentiles were really included in the promise of grace. And some even went so far as to require and say, well, if they're going to believe... If they're to become a part of the church, then they have to adhere to the the Old Testament, Old Covenant, Jewish rituals. So the chasm, you see, was not easily closed. It continued for a while. The, the, The Jews simply could not believe what Paul says in Colossians 3, that there's no distinction between Greek and Jew, barbarian, Scythian, slave, and free man, circumcised, uncircumcised, because Christ had broken down all of those barriers. But here in verse 11, Paul is simply calling the Gentiles to remember. Remember what it was like. What it was like to be separated on the horizontal level. To be separated from God's people because of pride and arrogance and the animosity and the disdain between them. And so he's telling the Gentiles here, you remember, you Gentiles in the flesh, you remember what you were. So now you can appreciate what you are. You remember what used to divide you. So now you can appreciate what brings you together. Remember the animosity. So you can appreciate the peace. That's what we find here in verse 11. And then second, in verse 12, we find this alienation on the vertical level. This is still a call for the Gentiles to remember. The word remember is not repeated in the Greek in verse 12. In my text, however, in the New American Standard, the word remember is repeated is in italics. That's to show that it's not there in the Greek, but but to indicate that it's continuing the same thought of verse 11, the importance of remembering certain things. And here it is to remember their previous alienation from God. They were cut off from God in their previous days. And Paul mentions five specific ways in verse 12 that alienation from God manifested itself. First, he says, verse 12, that they were separate from Christ. Remember, he says, that you were at that time separate from Christ. The word Christ there refers to the Messiah. They didn't have a Savior. No one to deliver them from their sin. All the Gentiles had to anticipate was the just judgment of God because of their sin. And you need to understand that the Gentiles had plenty of gods. They just didn't know the true God. The Greeks in particular had all kinds of gods. They had a God for this and a God for that. But none of their gods could meet their greatest need. 
a forgiveness of their sins, and be made right with God. Since the coming of the Messiah was promised to the Jews, the Gentiles were cut off from that advantage. Unlike the Jews, the Gentiles didn't have the opportunity to know of the coming of Christ. Their religion was totally pagan. They didn't have the expectation of the coming of the Messiah. I hope you can see there's nothing in life more devastating than that. To remove Christ from the equation of life, to be separated from the blessing and the joy of knowing Christ, to completely be outside the realm of the promise and the hope of the Messiah is the most devastating place anyone can be. They were separate from Christ. Second, however, he says they were excluded from the commonwealth of Israel. Remember that you were at that time separate from Christ, excluded from the commonwealth of Israel. That is, they were excluded from citizenship in the nation of Israel. Folks, you just can't underestimate the place of Israel in God's plan of redemption. This tiny nation, this motley group of people, these former slaves, they were the ones God chose to be His people. You know, Israel was dwarfed by the vast empires all around them. But they were not the apple of God's eye. Israel was. The Jews were the recipients of God's special blessing, protection, care, and love. And again, if you wanted to have a relationship with God in the Old Covenant, you had to have a relationship with Israel. They had the promises. They had the covenants. They had the law. They had the means by which you could know God. You see, to, to be excluded then from the commonwealth of Israel was to be excluded from a relationship with God Himself. You know, when, when Jesus was talking with the, with the Samaritan woman at the well, he, he said to her, salvation is of the Jews. The Jews were the vehicle by which people came know God. Well then third, he says they were also strangers to the covenants of promise. Which of those two things about that phrase before I try to unpack it just a little bit. The word covenants is plural. The word promise is singular. There were many covenants. But there was one promise. For example, God established a covenant with, Ab with uh, Adam in the Garden of Eden. We call that the, the covenant of works because um, the continuation of God's blessing depended upon Adam and Eve's obedience to God's commandments. Well, you know how that worked. They, they didn't keep God's commandment. They, they sinned. They fell uh, in sin and transgression. And because of that, they fell out of fellowship with God. However, God in His grace in Genesis 3 promised a Redeemer, someone who would come and cover their sin for them. Then God also made a covenant with Noah. After Noah and his family had been saved from the flood through the ark, that ark being a, a type of Christ, which is our means of salvation as well, salvation from the just judgment of God, 
after they had been saved on the ark from the waters of the flood, God made a covenant with Noah. And the essence of that covenant was he would never again destroy the earth by flood. And God made a sign of that covenant. He put that sign in the sky, and that, that sign was the rainbow. You know, we ooh and we awe when we see a beautiful rainbow in the sky, don't we? What we ought to do is remember, remember, that's a sign of God's faithfulness. It was covenant promise he made with Noah so many centuries ago. God also established a covenant with Abraham. We call that the covenant of grace, in which he promised to Abraham and to his descendants to be his God and their God and allow them to be his people. And we believe that this covenant with Abraham did not just include Abraham's physical descendants, not just the nation of Israel, not just the Jews, but also all who would believe. Because the Bible calls Abraham the father of the faithful. Then God also established a covenant with Moses. Uh, That covenant involved the giving of the law. And God's expectation that his people would keep his law and obey it. You know, and it's interesting. The people responded and they said, All that God has commanded, we will do and we will be obedient. God knew they were well-intentioned, but he knew they could never do it. And so at that point, he established the sacrificial system by which they would have a means of atonement for their sin because he knew they could not keep his law. And so he provided a means by which they could bring animals to sacrifice, blood to shed, to cover for their sin. Now, of course, none of the animals they sacrificed and none of the blood that they shed could cover their sin unless they looked ahead to the promised Messiah, Redeemer, who would come and shed his blood for them. And then... God established a covenant with David, in which he promised a king, a king greater than David, visited upon the throne. You know, the nation of Israel had been through a tumultuous time with judges, when the judges had led them, and they became frustrated with that, and they looked around, and they saw that all the nations around them had kings, and so they decided they wanted a king too. So God gave them one. Saul was a a tragedy. You know, David, even though he's called a man after God's own heart, in many ways was a disappointment. And they realized that, you know, having a, a physical king wasn't the answer either. And so God promised them a real king. A king of complete justice and righteousness who would reign and rule one day on their behalf. All those different covenants and one thing in common and that is the same promise the same promise of a Christ who would come, a Messiah who would come to deliver God's people from their sin and who would be with them and rule over them forever all of the old covenant anticipated and looked forward to what we see in the new covenant again there were many covenants but one promise And that promise was fulfilled in the coming of Jesus, the Lamb of God. Now, what we're finding here in Ephesians 2.12 is that the Gentiles were cut off from those covenants. They were cut off from the promise 
And so you see a building, don't you? They were separate from, from Christ, the hope of Christ. They were not apart, separate from the commonwealth of Israel. They didn't have the, the covenants or the promise that God had made. The last two manifestations of their alienation from God are a result, really, of the, of the three we have already seen. The text says, into verse 12, they were having no hope and without God in the world. That phrase, without hope, isn't that a tragic thing? Hopeless. Hopeless is a terrible word. You know, when we run out of hope, we run out of any light or any optimism. And when we have no hope, we're filled with despair. And that's where the Gentiles were. The Gentiles had no hope because they were without God in the world. Paul's just given this five-part description of how they were alienated from God. And they had no hope as a result of it. Again, all of that is simply to help the Gentiles remember where they were so they could appreciate more fully where they are now realize their desperate, hopeless situation apart from Christ so that now in Christ they can fully appreciate the marvel and the wonder of His grace. So you have to, you have, you have to remember the darkness before you can appreciate the light. You have to remember the bondage of sin before you can really appreciate the fullness of the freedom we find in the gospel. Here Paul is reminding these Gentiles, remember, you remember how you were cut off from all that so you can appreciate now the wonder and the glory of what God has given to you by His grace. You know, what was true of the Gentiles that Paul describes here is really true of all of us. Sin affects us all the same way. It alienates us from God. It breaks our relationship with God. It breaks our relationships with others. It impacts our vertical relationship with Him and our horizontal relationships with each other. It's been that way from the very beginning. Before they sinned, you know, Adam and Eve had a completely full and free and open relationship with each other and with God. We're told in the Bible they were naked and not ashamed. They had this relationship with God where somehow in the, the cool of the day He'd come in the garden and have fellowship with them. But when they sinned, both of those relationships were devastated. As soon as they sinned, they quickly began to try to cover themselves, to hide themselves from each other because of their shame. And when God came to meet with them, they hid from Him because of their guilt. You see, sin does the same thing to you. It does the same thing to me. It alienates you from God and it alienates you from others. 
How easy is it for you to pray when you know you are in sin? How easy is it for you to pick up your Bible and read it when you know that you're living in disobedience to God and His Word? How easy, it, how easy is it for you to have fellowship with another person when you know you've talked behind their back, when you've said something unkind to them, when you've let them down, disappointed them, broken a promise that you made to them? Sin alienates us from God. It alienates us from each other. And so that's why we need to remember the wonder, the marvel of grace. Let's do what Paul tells the Gentiles to do here. Remember what you were so you can more fully appreciate what you are. Remember you were lost so that you can appreciate the fact that you have been found. Remember that you were without hope. You can treasure the hope of the gospel. Remember your sin so you can appreciate the wonder and the marvel of forgiveness. Remember that you were without God so you can know the blessing of having a relationship with God. Salvation is all of grace. And your daily life is all of grace too. This morning, if you're living your life apart from Him, separate from Him, separate from others because of some sin or sins which you've committed or some pattern of sin in which you're living, you bring those sins to Him and you ask Him for His forgiveness and I promise, based upon the truth of His Word, He will do it. He will forgive you. But don't forget. Don't forget that from which He's brought you and that for which He forgives you because that enables you to delight in the wonder of His grace. Let's pray. Father, thank You so much for Your Word. We love it. And we're thankful for it and pray that today we might delight in the wonder and the marvel of Your grace because of what You've done for us. How You brought us from darkness to light, from being lost to being found being without you to having you. We pray we rejoice in that today. In Jesus' name, amen.